This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. Good morning, everybody. A beautiful morning outside and a wonderful spring we're having. I'm Virginia Haywood, and with me I have got two excellent nurserymen, Craig, good morning. Good morning. And Stephen. Good morning, Virginia. And you're right, it is. It's a lovely morning, so it's going to be a good day to be out in the garden. So once the program's over, we'll all be shooting back to our respective whatevers and, uh, and ready for what the day has to offer. And I'm busy gardening mine because I've got Gardening Australia coming, and then uh. we have the 3CR... Garden, That's right. Garden party. Yeah, well, you've got you've got to put your best foot forward, do I you do. not? <laughs> At least I have to weed. <laughs> yes, well, exactly, yes. Yes, that's one of the good things about having a date, though, I always think. That's why I quite like opening my garden um, on a semi-regular basis because it forces you to get the place looking as good as you possibly can for a specific day, and so the pressure's on a bit. I find having the garden open the only way that those bits that I just ignore mm. it's the only way I'll do them yeah you know yeah. I think if it's just oh it doesn't matter if that looks terrible over there I'll do that next week yeah well exactly so but and, you feel the need don't you to get it because, all looking good and because my garden's so big it's really easy I don't know why I've got such a big garden it's really silly for a person living on their own to have a garden that's five acres. But yeah, it does seem a little excessive, but anyhow, it's a lovely spot you've got, Virginia, so it's a really, really lovely place to be, so I can sort of understand it. And for those of you who are coming to the 3CR Garden Party, you will be receiving an email with all the directions in the coming week. All right, well, that's fantastic. And actually, while we're talking about garden openings, I, bet, I guess that's sort of a segue, I might as well just mention mine. Um for Open Gardens Victoria on the first weekend in December. So my garden, Tagurium, will be open and my friend Dale Simpson's garden, Calum, will also be open on that weekend. So there'll be two gardens to visit, uh, both open for the scheme. Um, you can get tickets online or you can pay on the day when you arrive. Um, so, uh, and at our place, I know we'll be having uh, Craig's art will be on display, so there'll be an art show on as well. I think Dale's going to have as he would, alcohol available. 
I'll be at Dale's. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He wants I, me to take tours. Oh, well, that'll be good. Yeah. So, uh, yes, somebody who actually knows what they're talking about, taking people around Dale's garden. I think that's fabulous. <laughs> he won't be listening, so it doesn't matter. Um, <clears throat> I'll tell him what I said when I see him tonight. Um, so, um, yeah, so both our gardens will be open there within four or five minutes' drive of each other. Uh, so... Um, it's easy enough to get from one to the other, and so you can have a lovely um, day of it up at Mount Macedon on that uh, on that weekend. And are you two coming to the open the garden party? Yes. You're going to make us a cake, aren't you? I am. Yes, I'm not sure I'm going to make it, Virginia, but anyhow, I'll... Because it's too far. Well, it's, it's not even that so much. It's just the fact that I've got to take a day off from what I normally would be doing, and mm. I've got to get people to look after the nursery, and it all becomes a little bit complicated. But anyhow, we'll see how we go. I'd like to be there if I can. Yeah. Um, all right. Yes, we, well, I think we go, we've got about... 60 people coming. So it's 60. Gonna, yep. I think when we throw in us, there's 40, we've sold 43 tickets. Good. And then we throw in us, the, you know, the people from yeah. the studio, and I think we'll be heading close to 60. A couple of yeah. the, the station managers coming. Oh, fantastic. So there's going to be a few. You're going to be a slave to the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, my job will be to take people around the garden. And delegate. And delegate, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> The parking is the one job. that's really frightening me. <laughs> yeah. But nevertheless, it'll be. I just hope it's a day like today because yeah. it's so beautiful. Oh, yes. Yes, if you cop a good day, it'll make all the difference in the world. I was in Fitzroy the other morning and I walked out the door and there were balloons that were lower. The, my, the door where I walked out of is just mm. by the commission flats and they were lower than the, commi- the top of the commission flats. Uh, wow. Oh, wow. It was extraordinary. Yeah. I could see the people. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of those balloon- things I should do one day. There's balloons going over at the moment. I yeah, I saw right. them coming yeah. in on the freeway. I haven't mm. seen them in the valley much this year. It would be so beautiful doing it mm. in the valley. It might be filled with fog, is it? No. No? No, I haven't had... I, I, I sometimes get that strip along the Wurriallic Creek. Mm-hmm. So down be- beneath me is thick fog. Mm. But then, But I haven't had fog myself at all. I've had the most beautiful mornings and I'm... Because I, I have this huge window on my bedroom facing east, I'm up and out, at, you know, just after dawn because the sun just shines straight in. Yeah. Best well, time of the day. It is the best time of the day once you've, once you've got yourself up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Now, we've got other announcements to give, I guess. Um, I, you, I've got a few. Yeah, well, why don't you run through yours and I've got a, two or three that I'd like to make. What I did want to say to people is today... Fernie Creek Flower Show is on. Oh, yes. And the Alexandra Open Gardens are on. Now, that's not a two-hour drive from Melbourne, Mm. not much short of two hours, but it is always a fantastic event, Alexandra Open Gardens. They usually have about six. And I think it's a real – and it's a beautiful drive up Mm. there. Oh, it's a lovely area out through there. Stunning. So that's – for today, if you're looking for something (coughs) exciting to do, either Fernie Creek Flower Show – or the Alexandra Open Gardens. Next Thursday, the 2nd of November, the Herb Society is having a big market night from 7.30 to 9.30 at Burnley Campus, which is 500 Yarra Boulevard. And they've got all tuss, everything, herbs, tussie-mussies, all sorts of things for sale there. So that could be a lot of fun. And then the following weekend, November the 4th and 5th, Yarra Valley, Upper, Upper Yarra Valley Garden Club has six open gardens along the valley. So that will oh, be... Oh, wow. That would be worth seeing. Oh, it's always 
great. A really active garden club. It's a very active garden club, mm. yeah. And that day you spoke to them. There must have been 50 or 60 people That's there, right. wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, I was amazed. Yeah. yeah, It's a fabulous garden club and the and they have this every year. So the 4th and 5th, and I think you have one on the 4th and the 5th? Um, we Yes, we have um, the Denira Bluebell Festival. Um, Denira is one of Mount Macedon's most important historic houses. Um, it's Sir 1872. Uh, it's a wonderful property with a huge, long uh, elm-lined driveway. <coughs> Excuse me. And all the way down the driveway at this time of the year it is naturalized bluebells there is it's just a sheet of blue and uh, they've got a coffee van there'll be live music there'll be market stalls there'll be wine and gin tastings garden tours house tours food stalls and there'll be bluebells for sale if anybody needs some bluebells um, adults are 35 dollars uh, seniors are 30 and children free and um, if you want more information you could go into the Denira website which is denairaestate.com.au and you can get more information there. I'm sure you can pay on the day as well. So well worth it. So those are the two things for, for next weekend, both of them excellent. And then the 17th of November, which is midweek or I think. I It'll know. be a Friday. I think it is a Friday. Yeah. Encouraging women in horticulture are having a dinner at 6.30pm at the Amora Hotel in Bridge Road. Richmond, and that is focused on Mediterranean plants for our gardens. The speaker is somebody from the Mediterranean Society, so that will be fun. And then we have the 10th and the... Oh, no, we don't. I'm missing one. Oh, yes. Then the next weekend, 11th and 12th, Open Gardens Victoria is opening up Castle Main Way. So there's one in Castle Main and one in Barker's Creek. Yeah. So that'll, oh, yes. that'll be worth... <coughs> Hedgehogs in Barker's Creek. Uh, it's a lovely garden. Uh, Margot and Morrie, who own the garden, uh, came on Craig and my last tour, uh, the Normandy and Brittany tour we did, and we went over and had a, uh, a luncheon with them. The group of, that went on the tour, anybody who could come, uh, came, so we had sort of a bit of a reunion. And the garden's lovely, and it's got a, a very nice... Um, a natural pond or naturalistic pond that was uh, actually done by uh, Gordon Ford oh, in the garden. Mm. So, and it's you know it's quite a large country garden with kangaroos hopping around and gum trees uh, right out as far as the eye can see. <coughs> and Margot's quite a collector, so she's got some really interesting stuff in the garden. So, definitely recommend a visit to Hedgehogs. Fantastic, and and then the second and third is. Stephen and Dale's Open Garden, mm-hmm. and then 10th of the 12th for Plant Trust mem- members. That's when our Christmas party is this year, and that is going to be mm. at Mount Macedon. Yes, and I've got another one here. Um, there's going to be an opening uh, t- of two gardens, Musk Farm and Musk Manor, uh, which are next-door neighbours, uh, in, funnily enough, Musk. And so many people know about uh, Musk Farm. It was um, Stuart Rattle's garden, um, and they're opening it up to raise funds for the local CFA, uh, and they will have food, coffee vans. You can order a lunchbox. There'll be wine, beer plant sales, raffles, uh, ch- adults are $15, uh, children under 15 free, um, and you depart from the Dalesford station. It's sort of an interesting thing. So you drive into Dalesford, go to the station, um, and there will be uh, return tra- train 
trips to the Musk Station. So you go to the gardens via the railways, which is sort of a fun way of doing it. Um, and um, uh, so if you uh, buy your ticket, um, that includes your train trip from Dalesford to Musk Farm and Musk Manor. Uh, and there's, uh, there's also ample parking at the Dalesford station. If you want to know more about the Musk openings, visit muskopengardens, all one word, .com.au, and you can get the full details there and book. So that's uh, a great thing, uh, raising funds for the Musk CFA and uh, uh, interesting gardens for you to have a look at. That always used to be absolutely huge oh yes when Stuart was alive the the garden was a major event when that was open I mean they had thousands of people through it um, so people might like to get back and reminisce and have a look at the gardens and see how they've uh, matured and changed over the years um, there's been at least three owners since uh, Stuart passed away um, and I guess they've all had their sort of impact on the garden in one way or another so it'll be interesting for people to go out and have a look at Musk Farm I'm sure all right. Excellent. And your garden, I bet, is looking lovely too, I suppose. Have you got your um, Davidia in flower? The Davidia is almost finished. Yeah, it was yeah. lovely when I was up there last week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was looking stunning. Oh, dear. And uh, it's interesting because you're just that little bit earlier because I was up at Forest Glade, one of the big gardens on Mount Macedon, mm -hmm. this week, and their Davidia is just at its absolute prime now. Okay. Uh, so their Davidia is looking absolutely gorgeous. Um, and it'll be about the same size as the one you've got. So okay. it's, it's a good, well-established yeah. Davidia. And they've just recently planted one of the selection called Sonora, which flowers as a young plant. Yes. And it's weird because it's I don't you don't sort of expect to see a Davidia that's only less than two metres tall with 40 flowers on it. Yeah. I've seen one in London that's... Mm -hmm. Probably fifteen foot in yeah. in flower. Yeah, I acquire. I, I was given a davidia this week. Good. So, I'm we'll find a nice sheltered spot exactly. for it, my dear. That's going yeah. to be the trick. Finding well, the right one place. one that I planted. I raised from seed and planted at Long Acres twenty years ago, mm -hmm. and it's this year covered in flowers. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. They are the most fabulous plant. I think they're wonderful. Mm. I managed to lose one during the drought, so mm. I'm hoping this one I can get through. We have got our first call. Oh, Isn't well that done. Exciting. Good morning, um, Velen, I think, from Briar Hill. Hello? No? Let me try that again. No, I don't seem to be picking that up. I'll get. If, if you could ring, ring back again, please. I don't know quite why that hasn't worked, yeah. but we'll um, have another bash. Mm, sounds fair. Yeah. Yes, it has to be, the Davidia has to be one of the most beautiful. Yeah. And, I, and of course, just down the road from you, there are some stunning Davidias. The one at Periander, the is, Periander. is enormous. Yeah. yeah, but what a spot for it. Mm. Yes. That is a garden yeah. that we can't, every time Craig and I are on together, we bring it up. It is so worth a visit. Yeah. And I, it's not as well known. I mean, the, right. the, the poor old roadie garden slash Mount Dandenong Botanic Gardens gets trashed in the spring by the number of people who want to go through mm -hmm. it almost. I mean, there's crowds and crowds and crowds, and again in the autumn. But people forget about Periander, uh, and I think even on weekends you could probably go in there and hardly have a crowd. So, That's right. You know, and it's a wonderful property. Uh, do wear your walking shoes because it's, it's steepish, steep, yeah. <laughs> but it's got some fabulous plant material growing there. Yeah, and, and the rhododendrons this year are unbelievable. Mm. Yeah. 
And there's uh, quite a few of them in flower now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, absolutely worth a visit absolutely now. Absolutely worth mm. a visit, mm. yeah. Mm. Well, there's so much on, on weekend after weekend at the moment. Because the other thing about Periander is the stonework, mm. which uh, the stonemason worked for the Ansels for 20 years building the retaining walls. It's just beautiful dry stonework. Mm. Mm. It, is, it, is, it is extraordinary how that garden just tends to be ignored. It is one mm. of the best places to visit in the Dandenong. Yeah, I'm going to go up there and do some filming at some point or another. Yeah. I think it's a very worthwhile garden to mm. get the public to know more about. Well, autumn would be a good It'd time. It would be a good one to do in the autumn. Yeah, I reckon yeah. it would be too. Yeah. So that I'll plan to do that in the autumn with Matthew. We'll go up there and spend the day doing some filming at Periander. I think it would be well worth doing. Actually, speaking of other things that are well into the future, um, I thought it might be a good idea. I haven't mentioned it for a while, but if anybody's thinking about um, travel and wanting to go away, um, if you want a short trip away, um, I'm doing my usual Macedon Ranges autumn tour for Australians studying abroad uh, on the 16th to the 19th of April. Um, it's a great trip. I know there's plenty of space still on it at the moment. So if you wanted to do that trip, go into the Australian Studying Abroad uh, website. If you just type in ASA Tours, it should come up. And you can go in and find all the tours and you can go in and look for places or times of the year or tour leaders or whatever so that you can select which tour you want to have a look at. And our autumn tour of the Macedon Ranges is fantastic. And it's not just Mount Macedon. I mean, we go as far south as uh, Belinda Vale down at Clarkfield, um, uh, Lady, uh, Lady uh, Susanna Clark's garden, which is fantastic. And we do a couple of gardens over in Dalesford, Hepburn area. Uh, so it's the sort of spa country slash Macedon Ranges down to almost Sunbury. Uh, and do people stay... We stay at um, Balanzola in, in Hepburn, uh, so it's a lovely old guest house that we stay in. Uh, we have a special dinner in one of the great restaurants in Dalesford uh, on one of the nights of the of the trip. Um, so, yeah, it's a really nice sort of few sound, days out. It does sound like good fun. Oh, it is. It's great fun. I really enjoy that little tour. Uh, we started it because of COVID and other things because, of course, Australians studying abroad do mainly send people overseas. Uh, it's in the name. Uh, but our little Mount Mount Macedon Rangers tour has worked out to be really good and of course because I've lived there most of my life I've got tales and stories and things that I can tell that probably nobody else knows mm. so you get an insight into some of those places and I know it's a little further ahead but if you're going to go overseas you need to plan ahead um, and so next year on the 18th of May to the 5th of June Craig and I are leading a tour of the natural landscapes and gardens of Madeira and the Azores which I so am looking forward to it's going to be the most fabulous tour out um, so keep it in mind everybody uh, and again, I know that there's plenty of space at the moment. I think we've got five or six uh, already booked. Um, and so go in and have a look at the itinerary. Um, uh, Madeira and the Azores are a wonderful group of islands that have an incredible array of endemic plant species. Um, and I grow a few of them, so I'm sort of looking forward to getting there oh, to see some. Absolutely wonderful. Madeira is, I mean, people in Europe just talk about Madeira in, oh, yeah. in terms of gardens and nothing it, else. Yes, it is. It's wonderful. And uh, so that's uh, May the 18th uh, next year. And I know we're already taking tour uh, bookings for 2025 uh, for our gardens, art, villages and chateaus of Normandy and Brittany. So people are already starting to book for that one. And that's outrageous. I mean, we go to some collector's gardens there that have got... Oh, 
the plants they've got is just ridiculous. There's a gorgeous guy, Louis, who's got a, a garden that he and his wife started. So it was just an open field when they bought the place. And he, I think he was a retired railways person of some sort or another, but passionate about plants. And he's travelled the world collecting and bringing plants back to his own garden. So he's got things in his garden that nobody else has got in France. And I think he said he had 60 different plants in the Aureliaceae family mm. in his garden, you know, things with leaves that are enormous and uh, and tropical looking and, and truly amazing stuff. So that tour is also open for booking at the moment. So there's the three tours over the next two years uh, that uh, I'll be doing. So there you go. And I think what I should do is announce our phone lines. Good idea. Our talk back is two, is two, where did I get that from? I don't know. It's 9419 0155. And to text us, it's 0488809855. And you can send us um, an email on 3cr.gardening at gmail.com, but that won't be picked up till during the week but that's very much for our podcasters of which there are a lot so talk back 94190155 or text 0488809855 because that comes through our computer it won't take photos so you can't send us a photo anyway except on the email 3cr.gardening at gmail.com and a little bit of plant porn is very useful if we're trying to answer a question. Question. <laughs> <laughs> to actually see the uh, the subject. Well, it's also much easier if people actually are talking to us because we can ask that crucial question. You yeah. know, sometimes people send us a text and it's just a little bit difficult. Yes. Ah, now, that call has come back again, so let's ah, try again. Hello, are you there? No. Something's going weird. No, why am I having this trouble? Let's just try and disconnect. Oh, dear. One more go. You're getting a signal, uh, Virginia. Eight. Yes, I'm trying. Uh, hello, are we there? No. All right. Yeah, dear. Try. I don't... I hope somebody else please ring in and we'll just see if we can um, connect the phones. Yeah, something weird is going on, sadly. Yes. I don't... It's very, very frustrating. Mm. So, well, are you, have you been busy, Craig? Are yes. people busy it buying plants? Busy. Yep. Oh, that's good. Yep. Yep. It's spring. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, everybody rushes out to buy something for the garden in that's the spring. Right. It makes you feel better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's been good. And, I, you know, I had a guy come in on Thursday with, with family, a family tour of the Dandenongs, and he was wanting to grow some dissectums and um, of course first question is what part of Melbourne do you live in mm. next question is what aspect and he wanted to grow them in a westerly aspect mm. very exposed and, and, and I said to him and I think this this goes through to all plant species that if you want to grow dissectums you don't look at the garden and say this is where I think they're going to look nice you look at your garden and say, this is where they're going to grow well. Exactly. You've got to ma yeah. Yeah. Yeah, match the plant. To my the first space. question always when I'm planting something in my garden is, will it survive the north wind? Yeah. 
And if the answer's no, right, that's all that section of the garden's out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next question, does it want sun or shade? Yeah. But yeah. for me, the north wind is a bigger question. Mm. Yeah. yeah, for me, it tends to be my hydrophobic soils in the summer. So can things cope with a bit of dry? I mean, I can give plenty of shade to stuff yeah. and I can find sheltered corners for stuff. But no matter how much water I pour in by midsummer, if we've had a, a dry start to the year, um, it just runs off. Yeah. And I just can't keep the moisture in the ground. And so things have to be able to cope with some droughty uh, conditions for a period of the year. Uh, I mean, when I'm settling something in, I put a lot of time and effort into trying to keep the soil moist. But once they get established, I can't do that over the whole garden. So mm. things have to be able to cope. But I have to say, it's one of the things I value of when I go to either of your places to buy something. I've First question, oh, I want this, Craig. Oh, no, not your garden. <laughs> <laughs> well, both of us know your garden quite well, yeah. so uh, we've but probably it's got also, it. It's the sort of thing you don't get when you go to Bunnings. I no. mean, it's really useful if you say, if you say I live in Fitzroy, mm-hmm. can I grow... I don't know what, something that will only grow in the dandenongs. Yeah. And, and Craig, just how and well Craig will just, the Anchianthus do for me or yeah. whatever. And yeah. Craig just says no, and I think that's fantastic because mm. you need that, that advice. Now, I'm going to try and get another call. Yeah. Let's try and get Emma online. Emma, are you there? No, we've got, we've got some sort of phone problem going. So it's not me. It's not me because I did all the right things. Okay. And so Emma didn't come in and was going to tell us about the Ferny Creek Flower Show. Oh, damn. Uh, well, we do know it's on, though. Yeah, I was there yesterday. Yeah. Oh, were you? Yeah, it's fantastic. Look, it's worth going to see the bowls of rhododendron and yeah. Unbelievably beautiful yeah. and perfuming the whole hall. Oh, how divine. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. I imagine the garden's looking lovely up there at the Absolutely. moment. Absolutely, mm. yeah. yeah. Because that's what people forget. I mean, the flower show's on, but there's also a very beautiful garden yes. there. Yes, yeah. quite a big garden. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, you can spend the whole day looking at the flower show and wandering the garden, I should think. And there's also someone there selling peonies in flower, lots of them. Oh. Oh, I know. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Oh, that's – and she grows lots of peonies. How yeah. fantastic. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's one that I wouldn't be rushing to plant in Fitzroy. Three peonies you'd grow, wouldn't you? Yes, yes. Oh. And I wonder about the itos. Because mm. they have three peony parentage, don't they? Yeah, they do. So yeah. uh, if you want something that looks like a herbaceous peony and acts like a herbaceous peony but isn't strictly a herbaceous peony, then the intersectional hybrids, the itos... Are, but they're are, very expensive. You get what you pay for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Justifiably so. Yeah, I think justifiably so. I mean, they are just gorgeous. I've got one in the garden at home that I planted two years ago of one called Pastel Splendor, which seems odd to me a name. You know, when something's pastel, it hardly sounds splendiferous, does it? Uh, But anyhow, that's the name. And it's sort of soft apricot-y tones and things. It's lovely. And it's had, I think, about 15 flowers on it this year. And they're, you know, they're the size of a soup bowl uh, and the itos tend to stand up reasonably well too so the tree peonies often have this habit of hanging their flowers over particularly the big full doubles and you've virtually got to put bamboo canes in and stake them all up to get them to sort of stand up and look at you Mm. Um, and I don't always have the time to do that because it's quite a fiddly job and it takes ages to do it if you've got lots of tree peonies Uh, but the itos seem to sit up and look at you and so I think the foliage the foliage is very pleasant. It's, yep. it's not as exciting as some of the um, – I think some of the tree peonies particularly have really good foliage. They're mm. really interesting for their leaves as much as for the flowers in some ways. But the foliage is quite clean and it's quite attractive on the itos. And 
Yeah, they, I know people who are flowering them around Melbourne, so yep. they're definitely worthwhile considering. And um, so, um, yeah, I would look at those. But, yes, if you're in suburban Melbourne, I really don't see any point in planting herbaceous peonies. You know, people will say that they put ice cubes around them in the winter. What's the point? Uh, Well, I've got a life, I think. (laughs) So I'm not that interested in doing all those things. If I can't grow it without an awful lot of work, I'm not going to grow it. It's just pointless. This is the 3CR Garden Show, and with me today are Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants and Craig from... Gentiana. Gentiana Nursery, a place that I spend an enormous amount of time and Virginia, forget. are you starting to worry about the old brain cells? No, it's because I have a producer at my back, oh. which makes me very nervous. You're listening to Community Radio. 3CR. 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 8.55 a.m. Right, we think we hear that wonderful producer. Cooking yeah. with gas, are we? It seems to have just fixed the phones. Oh, let's hope so, because uh, we'd love to hear from people. It's <laughs> part of the fun of this program is well, chatting to our regular Well, um, hopefully listeners. the person from Briar Hill about ringing about viburnums will... Um, <laughs> we'll ring us back. The viburnums are just superb this year. Well, your um, placatums out in yeah. the back garden at your place were looking stunning when we were up there the yeah, other day. They still in fact, are. Matthew looked at it from a distance and said, "What lovely dogwoods!" And I went, "Where are you looking?" <laughs> and and yeah. you know, with that sort of tabulated form and the flowers sort of sitting all up on the top, I can understand the confusion so, from a distance. So what Stephen is talking about is his YouTube, which he did at Craig's place. So if yeah. you want to have a look at Craig's place, yes. Well, we've uh, last. Last week, I think it was, we had one on uh, New Zealand foliage plants that we did at Craig's Garden because being, you know, sort of the expat Kiwis sort of still bonded to those plants. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, there's quite a few of those in the garden. So we did that. Um, And when we were filming the other day, we did one on epimediums and we did one on hostas. I'm not sure when Matthew's going to put them up. I was thinking the hosta one might have come up this week, but he tends to pick... If he's got a busy week, he picks something that's going to be quick and easy to edit. So you're never yeah. quite sure what's going to show up from week to week. But so there will be one on hostas coming up in due course and one we did on epimediums while we we're up at Craig's as well. So it uh, gives you a good opportunity to see what some of Craig's nursery and and, and his private garden's like. So oh, you get, his garden, get a I think, sneaky peek at that. I think his garden is very, very beautiful. Mm, it's um, a lovely, lovely spot. Yes. And I do sometimes wish that I was just a little bit higher than mm. Seville so mm. that I had some of that gentleness that mm. that both Macedon and and the Dandenongs have. Yeah, it's a very sheltered spot where we live. Yes, yeah. yes, it's just beautiful. So, Craig, you have a plant. Oh, well, yeah, you have yeah. several. Triumph of triumphs is Salmesia pugliaformis, which oh. is the Australian snow daisy, which... Needs to be grown from very fresh seed. Yeah. <clears throat> which I got from Otto's garden. Couldn't be fresher. Couldn't be fresher. Yeah, it was straight from the plant to the seed, you know, within a space of hours. And this is the first year they flowered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're spectacular. Beautiful, beautiful daisy. With, with, um, of course, New Zealand does sell misery even better than we do. They do. <laughs> but, but getting fresh seeds is a different yeah. story. Yeah. Yeah. Like in Impossible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. It, 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 and it has, I'll put a leaf, ah, here we go, nice, fine, pointed silver foliage. Yeah, they're beautiful yeah. plants. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, very, very excited. And I do have a few of them in the nursery if anyone's interested. But they you, wouldn't be for Fitzroy, though, would they? They wouldn't be for Fitzroy. <laughs> no. You need to find exactly the right spot. And because I raised a pot full of seedlings, I've been able to try them all over the garden, and I've got a spot now. And what is that spot? I think damp uh. and sunny. Yeah, where they do, like yeah. moisture, but they don't. Where do they, they come from? Like the shade. The, the, the um, Victorian Alps. The Alps, right? Yeah. Mm. Yes, yeah, and if you can throw in a bit of snow into the whole scenario, it'd probably be good too. Mm. <laughs> but they are—they're gorgeous plants, the snow daisies. Yeah. So I would plants. struggle with them in my garden. I think so. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yes, I think you'd be too dry and what have you in the yeah, summer. Yeah. Especially, I mean, the last three years I've been able to grow virtually anything. Because yeah, you should have been planting blue poppies the last three Absolutely. years. Absolutely. <laughs> it's uh, been falling out of the sky so wonderfully, but I think what they say we're in for another dry patch and that's, I mean, this, of course, I've got this Davidia and yeah. we're, in, we're heading for another dry yeah, patch. Yeah, but yes. Two weeks at a time, Virginia, for the weather. Yes, this is true. <laughs> oh, you can't change it. What's the point in getting depressed about it? No. Well, and I, and the thing is not to plant a snow daisy. Mm. Well, yes. give it a bash. Nothing oh, tried, nothing gained. I'm going to. Well, I'm trying the Davidia again. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, it's certainly worth the effort because if you do manage to get a Davidia to kick off, it's really worth it. Because once it's – if I can get it through the first couple of years, I think it'll be okay. Yeah, once it yeah. gets down. Yeah. Now, I, I've got another announcement that came in via Craig, uh, my Craig, uh, uh, and I feel a little embarrassed because I should have had this written down as something to talk about. Um, and it's the uh, Friends of the Geelong Botanic Gardens um, uh, exhibition at the Deakin Gallery, um, inspired by nature. So it's the botanic artists who work down at Geelong. Um, and it starts next weekend till the first weekend in December. So right through uh, November. Um, and uh, it's at the Deakin Gallery. It's well worth a trip down there. I'm going down for the opening night um, next Friday, I think. Um, and uh, so um, there'll be a whole range of botanic art uh, of all different subjects there. Uh, the art will be available for sale so people can buy it. Uh, I know Craig's going to have three paintings in the exhibition. And uh, yes, Geelong always put on a really good show and I feel really embarrassed because as the um, patron of the Friends of the Geelong Botanic Gardens, I didn't think to write it down and remind myself to talk about it this morning. So well, you've done that yep. and we're making our third attempt. Oh, goodness me. To speak to Briar Hello. Hill. Hello. Hi. Ah, we uh, have yay. you. Oh, yay. Th thank you for your patience. <laughs> oh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you. Beautiful panel. Thank you. And I uh, can't wait for afternoon tea, Virginia. Looking forward to that. Oh, good. Um, now, I wish I had to take, uh, I should probably upload a photo uh, on the email, but my, I've planted 14 viburnum odinissimums uh, for a client as a hedge, and I checked on them, and they've, there's one uh, new leaf on one plant and another plant, and it's like I, I took it off and took it to the nursery, and they either said variegated sport or... Uh, mosaic virus. I'm hoping it's not that. <laughs> so if if it's a variegated sport, which it looks like the cream, the light cream variegation, so I can just yep. chop that. But if it's the mosaic virus, is there anything that you guys can, uh, or is it just doomed? 
Well, viruses are really hard to deal with. Um, yes, yes. Uh, once a plant's got a, a viral infection, it's uh, it's not that easy to do anything about. So yeah, I've never okay. tried to manage a virus myself other than if I've had something virused, I ditch it. Yeah. Um, because yeah, it's the so safest thing to do. Right, yep. And what my my t- view is if it's virus, get the chainsaw out. And, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally gone. Not yeah, okay. But But it could be variegation, in which case it's not a big deal. You just cut out variegation. It looks healthy. It looks Mm. the foliage looks healthy. So there's no. It's just that that light cream variegation to it. But if it's the mosaic, and it's only it's only on one. It's only on one limb, yeah. I've, well, I've, chop I've that limb two. off immediately. Oh, that sounds like okay. a sport to me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Look, I've, yeah. I've got a sense it might be a variegated sport, but you're right. Unless we see the picture of it, it's pretty yeah. hard to, to know. Yeah, I have right. to say, though, if it turned out to be a good variegation, you could have a really good plant there. <laughs> that's right. That's uh, I mean, variegations uh, are not well, everybody's taste, yeah. but... Uh, no. They do sell well. People like variegated plants. Um, and, uh, and I'm always keeping my eye out for variegates in, in my own garden, just and in I case. And I think just, oh, uh, just okay. talking about a sport is always interesting. People don't understand what a sport no. is. Yeah. No, and particularly know. if you've got camellias. Yeah, well, camellias so do many, that all the time. They sport all the time. Yeah. So yeah. you'll have a red camellia and you've got one white and red striped flower and that's yeah. the sport on the yeah. camellia. And I, ha- I have uh-huh. variegated viburnum odorism in my garden yeah. and, and it is beautiful. Mm. Oh, so, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's not, okay. Yes, okay. Yeah. And sometimes right. not all that stable, I understand. This so. one's, well, so far, so good. All right, good. No, ah. That's good to know. Because that's the other oh, issue good. with variegation, of course. If you find a variegated sport, that's all very well. But yeah. it's also got to be comparatively stable to make it a worthwhile oh. garden plant. Right. And that will only right. be known with time. So you've got to grow it on and see. Um and, yeah, I'm always looking for interesting variegates because um, there's, there's a market for them. Hmm. Well, let's cross our fingers. You'll know, right. you'll know by the time of the garden party, so you'll be able to report back. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. That's wonderful. Thank you. Okie doke. Bye. Okay. Bye. <laughs> That's good. Um, Joanne has, has said that, the handkerchief tree at Periander is a, is worth a visit just on its own, mm-hmm. without all the rest of the beauties that are there. Yeah, oh, it is one of those plants. I mean, it's one of the world's iconic trees, yeah. um, and one of the most incredible things ever to have come out of China, I reckon. Yeah, it's, and it's remarkable. The other thing about the one at Periander is the bark. Mm. It has this beautiful cracked bark. Because it's a big old tree. Well, and this is one of the things about Periander. You can actually look at the bark. Mm-hmm. Because, but we, we tend to forget. I take When I take a tour around the Botanic Gardens, I'll often start by saying, look at the bark. Look at the bark on this tree. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. The erythrina, which mm-hmm. I call the whomping willow, because the one just by the yeah. herbarium is so extraordinary and it bounces. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I was taking a tour the other day and there was a, a group of Chinese, young Chinese people, speaking Chinese, they weren't speaking English, and I said to the tour, this is the Whomping Willow, and they all stopped and they turned and looked at me and I said, Harry Potter? And they went, oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear, it's world-renowned is Harry Potter, yes. Now, we have a question about Sonchus. I've noticed the Sonchus arboreus has an unusual, if not unpleasant, smell. Mm. When a leaf or stem is damaged, are all sonchus like this? 
It's only an issue when working around it, so, so not a major problem. I was just wondering. Well, a lot of them do have a slight smell to the damaged foliage, but, yeah, it's not an issue. Uh, I mean, you've got to damage it first. So, uh, yes, if you're just walking past a Sonchus, you're not going to smell its foliage. And not all of them have that smell. Um, but, you know, you, they're just basically uh, milk thistles on steroids. Um, and, in fact, this week's story is about Sonchus, funnily enough, on our YouTube channel. Um, so, um, yeah, they're very worthwhile plants. And lots of things have slightly weird smelling leaves. I mean, that's quite common to to find things with odd smelly leaves and it's probably a defense mechanism by the plant to try and discourage browsers um, and uh, I just find it an interesting aside about a plant if it's got a, a slightly weird smell to its foliage just... it's, it's only unpleasant if you think it's unpleasant well exactly well I, there's a, a viburnum I grow called viburnum subalpinum which is a really obscure and weird viburnum of not top-notch uh, ornamental value in some ways it gets this sort of open layered sort of effect and it gets tiny little like pearl earrings hanging under the branches which are its tiny little bell flowers mm -hmm. in clusters so it's elegant but not particularly showy and the foliage has got quite a strong smell to it and I've always thought it was quite unattractive the smell and somebody the other day I said what do you think of the smell of this and they rubbed the leaves and they said they smell like corn chips and I thought corn chips and I had another smell and of course once you've been told something smells like something <laughs> there's every chance that you'll be able to smell that yourself yeah. it's very suggestive sense um, and yes yeah, so now I've decided it smells of corn chips and which is not a bad smell <laughs> otherwise people wouldn't eat corn chips so there you go <laughs> true so um, yeah so yeah I, I don't think it's an issue uh, it's probably quite common with uh, so uh, I mean I'm regularly working with mine and I'm now that I think about it I do remember there being a bit of a smell to some of the foliages but it was never strong enough to actually be something I'd go, oh, yuck, or yep. anything like that. It was just a smell to the foliage. So, yeah. I've received another open garden notification. Ah. It's the Nook, which is, I've been to the Nook. It's a beautiful garden in Mombolk. Yeah. And it's going to be open the Saturday, the 18th and 19th of November for raising money for Mombolk CFA. Uh -huh. And there are going to be plants for sale. There yeah, good. and some very unusual plants for sale there, so that will be a really special one to go to. So that's the Nook in Mombolk, it's 5 Tavistock Road, Mombolk, Saturday and 18th and Sunday, 19th of November. Oh, so fantastic! There's plenty Lots to, do. to do. People mm -hmm. won't be in their own garden doing the work that needs doing the way things are going. <laughs> well. Go visiting gardens at the weekend and work all week. Yes. Because that's the other thing with daylight saving. There's plenty of hours after work to well, actually... Well, that's fantastic. again yeah. in the morning. Yes, yes. Yeah. The mornings are wonderful. Yeah. Yes, well, I remember you coming down to me on a Sunday morning at quarter to seven with your chainsaw. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I hope you didn't wake up all the neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> it was very exciting. I was mm. a bit frightened. Mm. Oh. <laughs> but it was worth it. Yes, well, um, I, one of my sonchus has died, mm -hmm. but I found a seedling coming up somewhere else in the garden. Oh, yeah, so they'll, they'll often do that. Um, I've never had a seedling before. Yeah. I've got two. I've got a very fine-leafed form. Yeah. And then the more usual slightly... Yeah, sort serrated. of dandelion-looking leaf yeah, ones. Yeah, serrated uh, leaf one. Uh, in fact, I've got several in the garden at home, and I've got a sense that uh, two that are quite closely related. I've got a parmensis and canariensis, and... I've ended up with a Parmensis seedling come up right against the base of my 
canariensis plant, and uh, I think I'm going to end up with a hybrid swarm in due course as well because they're quite closely related and there's no real reason why they won't cross-breed. How long do they live? Uh, seems to vary a little bit. They're not long, long-lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, my oldest one would be actually my parmensis, which has probably been in for seven or eight years. Okay. Uh, and it's still in reasonable health. The one that died for me had a trunk mm. like like that, um, this, a trunk the size yep. of my wrist. I oh, mean, yeah. it was quite... Yeah, they, they can almost pretend to be trees. It was looking yeah. like it was trying to be a tree. Yeah, mm. yeah, which is part of the fun of them because they, they look a little incongruous in a garden. You see these dandelion-type flowers these uh, on this milk-silly-looking thing, yeah. but they're way up there somewhere, some of them. Mm. So they are. They're remarkable plants. Oh, and we've got a call about foxgloves. Oh, well... That will be fun. Hello, Stella. Hello there. And you're interested... Oh, and crepe myrtles. Crepe myrtles and foxgloves. Yeah. The crepe myrtle is in a container and it gets um, morning sun, full morning sun. But I notice that if I look up into the crepe myrtle, there's all these little tiny holes. Tiny holes. And also... Um, you know, the just the very tips of the leaves have like a slight white, like sugary crystal on the end. Some mm. sort of aphid? Yeah, I'm wondering whether you've got a, uh, a some sort of aphidy sort of thing going on. If it's oh, in a pot, okay. I would move it for a start because I mm-hmm. think crepe myrtles like the afternoon sun. They like the heat. There's yeah, no they, they like the heat. Yeah. And they like plenty of air circulation as well, so they need to be right out in the open. Right. And if you put them right out in the open, then they're less likely to get things like aphids and mealybugs and uh, all those sorts of things that can affect plants in sheltered environments. So I think it's environmental to a large extent, or at least if you change the environment, the problem's likely to go away. That was my first thought. Mm. Yeah. And give yeah. it some seaweed. And yeah, yeah feeder. Yeah. yeah. Are they big feeders? Uh, They're not big feeders, but in a pot you need to keep the feed up to them. Uh, I mean, in the open ground you can see old crepe myrtles that haven't been fed in 30 years and they're still perfectly fine and (laughs) flowering their heads off. But their root system can get out and get what they need. Okay. So if you're going to keep it in a pot, I definitely um, feed it regularly. Thank you. And the other one was, um, yeah, the foxgloves. Now they're, again, in containers. But, you know, I'm keeping the warm juice up to them and all sorts of things like that. Anyway, um, they've grown quite large. Now, um, some of them have lost the um, flowers already, Mm. like, you know. And I was thinking, should I give them a little trim, the tops trimmed? And will they continue flowering for a little bit longer? No, once mm. once a foxglove gets towards the end of its flowering period, if you cut the old flower stem off back to where the foliage rosette is, they'll sometimes mm. send up short stalks with short sort of flower spikes yeah. uh, as a later flowering thing. But you've got to remember foxgloves in the, in the normal forms are basically biennials. You hoik them out after they're finished flowering and start a new batch. Uh, okay. Or you wait for self-sown seedlings to come up around the garden, as yeah. often happens. Um, but, yeah, they're not long-term things, and if they're passing their best, and, of course, the warm weather will push them over the brink quicker, uh, 
so they won't last as long. Why, do they like a coolish uh, Oh, yeah, they, they come oh, yeah. from very cool climates in, in uh, Europe and... Europe. Yeah, they grow wild in Britain. Yeah, mm. so they yeah. do like it cool. So they don't yeah. they don't like the afternoon mm. sun. Mm. Okay. Now, um, just before I go, have I got a quick, quick indoor question? Uh-oh, yes. Try yeah. yeah, flamingo. You know that flamingo plant, indoor plant? Yeah, the um, anthuriums. Yeah. Mm. Yes, yeah. Now, um, something is at my, at those, and with the result, it kind of um, takes some of the colour of the leaf away. You know, it's it's like patches of um, of of pale leaf, if you like. Sounds viral. Yeah, it does sound viral. a bit viral. Uh, yeah. There's no sign of anything sort of stuck to the leaf. It's not. There's no sort of wooliness well, when, or. When I go around at night with a torch, um, I see this tiny, tiny black, which I remove. But he's. You would have to have your torch and and a, a magnifier to see it it's a very small little black thing and it's nocturnal i think hmm. uh, uh, you've got me on this one i'm not quite sure yeah. what that could be, could be. Um, yeah. yeah should should i persevere with them because like they're, they're beautifully um mature mm. um flamingo plants if you like and they're pink yeah, well, so look, I, it sounds like you've got some sort of insect infestation of something. Uh, yeah. If you can only see them at night, it's not likely to be aphids because you'd see them all day long. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm not quite sure what's there. Um, yeah. But, you look, if you spray the plants at night with a pyrethrum or something like that when the insect is uh, actively moving around, um, you might be able to clean it up. Put them outside yeah. and spray them. Yeah, put them outside, spray them with a pyrethrum spray um, and see if that cleans up the issue. You might have to give it a few hits because pyrethrum is a contact killer, not a not a uh, systemic killer. Um, so it has to be in contact with are the bug. They, are they hungry? All they, indoor plants are hungry. Yeah, yeah. you need, <laughs> you, you need to feed your indoor plants on a fairly regular basis. I, well, with my indoor plants, I feed them every time I water them. Mm. Oh, good. And yeah. also, I think you do need to change the soil sometimes. Yeah. Oh, I have changed the soil, mm. yeah. Mm. yeah. The, the biggest oh. issue with indoor plants is that people water them too much. Mm. I know. Mm. I've been guilty of that in the past. <laughs> 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 oh, dear. It's lovely. You guys are my favourite. Of all the garden gurus. Oh, well, thank you for that. <laughs> We're all very red and embarrassed about this point in time. <laughs> thanks a million. Excellent. Thanks, Stella. I hope we were Bye. helpful. Bye. Yeah, well, you were. Bye. Well, that was that was interesting. I don't do indoor plants, me. Well, I can't. Um, our house is too dark. Anything I put in our house just. Get goes pale and wane and miserable looking, mm. and so I've given up doing indoor plants. The only thing I'll do occasionally is I'll have a rush of blood and buy one of those Phalaenopsis orchids and use it as a cut flower basically and chuck yeah. it out when it finishes flowering because mm. it lasts longer than a bunch of flowers. So I figure that's quite good value, but I know I'm going to have to throw it away. But you know, I that's decided fine. that I have to grow them indoors and I have to learn how to grow them so that I can give customers advice. Yeah, well, and, that. It, and yeah, it's, it's worked well. I've, I've got a handle on them now. Yeah, good on you, Craig. Yeah, but yeah, watering is the key. Mm. 
Yes, they're always overwatered or underwatered. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Underwatering's hard. Yeah, like yeah. you'd have to really neglect them to underwater them. They like to be really dry. Dry in yeah. between. Yep. Mm. yep. This is the Three CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia, and with me are Stephen and Craig. And you can ring us on nine four one nine zero one double five, or you can text us on zero four double eight eight zero nine eight double five. Yes, I my um my son-in-law is mad keen on indoor plants, and they're all over the Fitzroy house. Yeah, that's good. And and at the moment, I've got one in the in my house in Seville because Sylvie's brought it up because it's sick and she thinks that a rest in Seville might help it. <laughs> Go to the holiday house. Yes. <laughs> Trip to the country. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So she arrives yeah. with one big plant and three dogs. <laughs> oh, goodness me. Yeah. They all come for a, for a rest. Yes. I feel sorry for them because they're constantly being moved around the house. I think mm. plants are generally pretty sedentary things. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. If, if they're settled somewhere and they're happy, yeah. then you shouldn't should, uh, fiddle too much. So do you, right. do you keep moving them? No, Rick no, does. Rick does. Yeah, yeah, it's a change of look. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Well, just that, well, that's part of your learning. Yes. <laughs> part of what you can tell the customer. But yeah, yeah, no, they're good. And the begonia that I grow, a great boy, they like to be super dry. Mm. Yeah. Do they? Yeah, super dry. Right. Yeah. I've got my, I've got a begonia, two begonias, both of which came from you, sitting next to my wasabi. So they probably get overwatered because the wasabi is exactly the opposite. Polar yeah. opposites. Yeah. Yes, yeah. wasabi likes to be wet. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, over the summer, my, both my wasabi and my lemongrass, I leave sitting in water, which yeah. is something I. Don't do normally. No, no, I had a customer the, the other day who'd been growing wasabi, and he finally had enough to get some root and grate it and have it with his sushi or whatever. And he said to me, "It was so depressing. It was really was no better than the bought ones." <laughs> and the bought ones are mainly horseradish, yeah. <laughs> which is perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're all used to that, so yeah. you know that's the flavour we expect. I mean, most of us have probably never actually eaten proper wasabi. Mm-hmm. In fact, I don't know how they get away with calling it wasabi when it's horseradish. Mm. And the that... greens dye, is it? Yeah, it's it's a dye, and uh, I don't know how they can call it wasabi because it really isn't. So. And that is something False advertising. I would say to people, do not grow horseradish. Oh, I love horseradish sauce, though. It's rampant. Oh, yeah. it's so rampant. If mm-hmm. you grow it, grow it in a pot mm. that's on concrete. Mm. <laughs> you, know? you can still kill it. I managed to kill the variegated horseradish somehow or another. It just faded out on me. How? I, I don't know. It just faded I've been out. trying to kill mine. I can't kill it. I'm, it must I'm... have been the variegation. Yeah, must, might have been. Mm. Well, I know the variegated form is is not as strong mm-hmm. um, in its constitution as the straight green one. But yeah, I had it in the vegetable garden for years, and then all of a sudden it wasn't there anymore, and I have no idea what happened. It just disappeared. Well, I've got it in one big tub, and I emptied the tub and emptied it all out, and the tub is hip high, mm. and still came back, <laughs> still down there yeah. in the clay. Mm-hmm. No, nope, yes. can't get rid of it. I uh, mean, I suppose if I resort to Roundup, it'll probably go. But yeah, it's yes. Not oh, you kill it I with like Roundup, but yes, you don't necessarily want to use Roundup in the veggie garden. Absolutely area. not. Uh, if you're going to have to use it at all, I'd keep it away from the veggie garden. Yes, no, it's it's for blackberries. Mm. 
Exactly. So, Stephen, what All is... All right. Well, I've got a, a, a slight sort of topic this morning, I suppose, which would be woodland plants, because spring is the time for the vast majority of uh, attractive woodland plants. And so I bought four along this morning, which we may or may not get through all. Um, but I'll start with... Actually, I'll start with the fern, because I'm particularly fond of that. Um it was uh, Matutheus struthioteris. It's now Anocleus struthioteris, and it's commonly called a shuttlecock fern. Uh, Much at, better name. It's yes. deciduous, isn't it? It's deciduous, which is odd. People find deciduous ferns a little bit confronting because they don't understand the fact that not all ferns are evergreen. But they uh, are so beautiful. Oh, the shuttlecock fern, when it first comes up in the spring, is eye-achingly green. It is just beautiful. And it does quite literally come up with this shuttlecock-shaped uh, rosette of, of leaves, and then it will sucker, and then you'll get another rosette of leaves. So you end up with a, a gentle drift of this thing that often comes up far enough away from each rhizome to have its own independent space so that it doesn't just become a clutter. Mm -hmm. And um, in the autumn when it dies down, it goes a really nice russety, coppery colour before it uh, collapses and dies down. Uh, the unfurling croziers are edible. Um, and, in fact, I sold a heap of it to somebody up Callista Way years ago who was going to grow them as a high-end restaurant um thing to sell to some of the posher restaurants. I don't know whether it ever took off or not, but they bought about 80 or 100 um, shuttlecock good, good ferns. Good for you. Well, it was good for me, except I sold all of that year's stock to yeah. one person, so I didn't have any to sell to anybody else, which is always a bit of a uh, mixed blessing. Yeah, sounds uh, a bit like peacock tongues to me. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, it is a bit that way, I think. Uh, I haven't ever tried eating them, but they apparently taste a bit asparagus-like. Uh, and, of course, there's this... You know, there's that whole indoor plant thing that's become big, big, big. Well, there's also the I will only grow things that are edible group. Indeed. That has got big, 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 particularly since COVID set in because everybody's suddenly feeling that they need to protect themselves and so they need to plant everything they can eat. Uh, so you could, in fact, grow shuttlecock fern for that reason. But it is a most beautiful fern. It likes high light levels but constant shade, so not direct sun on it um, and it can get up to about a metre tall in the fronds if it's a well-grown plant uh, and it is just beautiful. And a lot of water? Uh, look like most ferns it likes to be kept moist. Um, it will dry out a little bit and still be fine um, but um, I think if it's going to grow well it needs to have a fairly constantly moist spot. Uh, you could do exactly what you talked about with your wasabi. You could have it in a big pot and sit it in a saucer of water for the summer. Just for the summer. And, yeah. and have it in a fernery or something like like that it it's would be fantastic. probably one of those things that would just go down if it got a bit dry wouldn't yeah it? it will it'll collapse but it would come back and again. come back yeah. Yes. yeah so lovely fern and i imported it years ago oh good on from you great dickster all right yes excellent we have got a call from sonia in broadmeadows who wants to talk to us about a vegetable garden problem hello sonia thank you actually uh, can you hear me all right yes, yes we yes. can hear you um, it, it's not a problem, it's a, a new gift. Yesterday my grandson came and cleared a vegetable garden for us, which I'd given away because I couldn't cope, but now I have it. And it's wonderful, but I now want some advice as to the watering. Um, I'm not, I want to put some plants in, and you might advise perhaps what I should plant now. But if I do, say, for instance, have some seedlings of uh, silver beet or 
tomato plants or whatever, do I put a channel down the centre for the water or do you water them from the side? Uh, are those soakers uh, useful, um, etc.? Because I don't have a lot of time, but I want to be able to water efficiently in a vegetable garden about three metres by three metres. All right. Well, it's not a huge area, so it's very manageable. Um, and I would certainly, uh, it depends on your soil type. If your soil type's um, uh, open and well-drained, then the channels down between the rows of vegetables are actually quite a good idea because you can just fill the channels with water. Yeah. Uh, soaker hoses and things can work quite well again. Um, but I adjust depending on what I'm planting. Uh, if I'm planting leafy greens like lettuces, silver beet, spinach, those sorts of things, I tend to just do them in a flat bed and just water yeah. the, the whole bed. Um, yeah. If I'm doing garlic or some of those other things that needs a little bit more sort of specific watering at certain times, then I often plant them on the tops of rills so that right. um, uh, they don't get too much water around the bulbs. Uh, but generally speaking, it's all about the soil as to what you should do as far as the veggie garden is concerned, both with water and whether, in fact, you plant things in uh, little mounds. Um, so if you've got a heavier soil, mounds are a good idea. Lighter soils, they're not so important. All right. Thank you very much. And what could you suggest now that I do plant? Oh, I... there's oodles you could be putting in now. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, all of your summer-growing vegetables could be going in about now. Um, Eggplants. Eggplants, Egg tomatoes, capsicums. Um, Chilli. Chilies, your leafy greens can all go in. Um, uh, I've just put in my sweet corn seed. Um, so there's oodles of stuff you could be planting now. Oh, oh well, that's very good. And just with these tomatoes, um, we've never been very successful in proportion the water we put on to the product we get off. <laughs> yes. um, and, and they often get a yellow uh, leaf. Mm. Uh, should I start dusting them when they're little or... Uh, how can I encourage them to produce for me? Not well, drop? feed, 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 mm -hmm. feed. Uh, mm -hmm. Vegetable gardens need uh, adequate moisture, but they also need lots of feeding. Uh, so make sure you've got lots of manure and compost and things in the ground and keep topping up with those sorts of things, uh, and they would work really well. Um, and if you do get yellow leaves at the bottom of tomatoes, it can sometimes be a, a viral infection or something. They're an annual, so I don't worry about it too much, but I'll pluck off the dead leaves as the, or, uh, as the plant goes up and just clean them away. Um, and you can generally keep your tomatoes going to get tomatoes off them, even if you've got some issues there. And I have to say, I'm, I might not be the complete organic gardener, but I'm certainly completely organic in my vegetable garden. Um, you know, I make allowances sometimes if I'm working in the ornamental garden an occasional chemical will get used, but I don't... I, if I can't get it to grow in my veggie garden, I don't grow it if I, if I have to use chemicals. Um, uh, so my veggie garden is completely organic. So, so do you count um, organic fertiliser as a, a chemical? Or no. A... No, manures and composts and, and all those sorts of things are... Well, everything can be based on... Everything is based on chemicals, but they're not chemical products as such. They're organic products. Mm. But so the you... ones you buy, you know, like I've got a, a garden supplier and he, they provide me with a plastic bag full of organic um, fertiliser. Very yeah, well, concentrated. It... Yeah, if it's organic fertiliser, something like dynamic lifters and all those sorts of things, um, they're organic, so they're fine. Oh, good. 
Yeah. Okay, look, thank you very much. And and I don't suppose you know what eats parsley. My parsley have all turned to stalks. <laughs> it could be possums. Um, no. Yeah, the possums eat yeah, my parsley. Sounds like an animal. Yeah, yeah. If they've all just turned into stalks, my first guess would be possums. Um, you can still use the stalks, <laughs> but it's not as effective. Uh, but and- also, if you try cutting the bottom out of a bigger pot and just putting a pot around them so that it protects them while they're small. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That right. can often help. And the other thing, you. Because you're talking about a vegetable garden, it's reminded me we've just received a book here from yes. Hannah Maloney. Do you watch the gardening show on the telly? Yes, occasionally. Yes, she's the one with the pink hair. Oh, I see. And she's just released a book called Good Life Growing, How to Grow Fruit and Veg Anywhere in Australia. So, so that's the young lass from Tassie. So, yeah, yeah she, she's the one from Tasmania. Who I saw show people how to plant vegetables in a pillow slip <laughs> a few well, weeks why? ago. That's what I thought. Uh, it was a very short segment. It was just one of those tippy things. Um, and she showed – and <laughs> to, to make it even seem more incongruous, she said, now, sometimes it's really hard to get it to stand up properly, so put it in a milk crate. And I thought, well, why wouldn't you have a secondhand pot? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it made absolutely no logical sense to me. It was taking recycling to a level that was completely... Uh, ridiculous. Ridiculous and made no sense. Um, and there was a few minutes of my life I'll never get back. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the other thing. There are some wonderful um, books on growing vegetables and, uh, and, and there's some wonderful information on the internet as well. So... It's another good one. I mean, with growing tomatoes, it's quite, you know, it's a bit different to growing kale. Yeah. So it's quite useful sometimes to get a and bit look, of And look, we advice. grow tomatoes for flavour and the fun of having them, not for economy. Yes, no, I... Whereas I grow kale because yeah. I think the stuff I buy tastes horrible and the mm. stuff I grow in the garden is wonderful because oh, I yeah. eat it within an hour of picking yeah. it. And that's that's when I grow... That's when I eat asparagus and globe artichokes and, and I never buy sweet corn. I always grow my own sweet corn because it, nothing it's another, tastes it's like the same stuff you no, grow in your the own sugar, garden. No, because the sugar goes. It turns yeah. to starch. So, yeah, mm. there's certain vegetables I would never buy uh, and I would only eat in season when I've grown them in the garden at home. Well, I do kale for me is one that I will not buy. I just don't mm. like it, but mm. I love it out of my garden. My chooks get lots of kale because I go around and collect the green scraps from the uh, little IGA supermarket every night after work, and there's regularly bunches of kale in there that uh, obviously nobody bought and they've been chucked in for the birds. Um, so my ch- chickens get lots of kale. They'd love that. <laughs> yeah, they enjoy it. Well, well I hope that's all been useful, Sonia. Yes, it has indeed. Um, the only thing I must be careful with these books you read that it doesn't become like my recipe books. I read them and then I don't cook anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, books can be like that, yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good luck. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we have another call. Oops. From John. John, are you there? Yeah, yes, good morning. Good, good morning, morning. To the panel. Yeah, it's uh, John McRae here. I'm the Secretary of uh, Tree Project, and I wonder if I could um, talk to you and encourage uh, some of your lovely listeners to um, become growers for Tree Project. Absolutely. Um, tell us. Yeah, oh, well, I'll tell you the story then. Uh, tree, tree, tree Project is a city-country organisation, and it's been going for uh, 30 years now, and we've planted 2 million uh, native seedlings already, and a long way to go yet. 
So it's really about restoring degraded land. Uh, it's no government uh, funding or anything like that. And uh, the way it works is that the seeds are gathered in the, the country, location somewhere, then they're propagated in city backyards, and then they're planted out in the country once they've um, reached a certain size there. So the issue at the moment is we're right at the uh, start of the growing season. Mm-hmm. But we've been a bit too successful this year. We've got too many orders um, from the country, and so we need uh, people who could grow for us in their backyards. So it's um, fairly easy process. You get seven boxes, and just uh, you grow your seven boxes and uh, mine them um, throughout until the autumn, and then they get taken off to the country and planted out there. Fantastic. So how can people get in touch so that they can get engaged with raising these trees? Yeah, that's right. Well, it's the website, uh, <clears throat> Stephen, the website is the <clears throat> easy way to go. So it's Tree Project, so it's one word um, with a space, no space in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then you can go to the How, how You Can Help menu there or a Grower menu and you'll find, it, find your way through there. Uh, look, uh, the other thing I should mention is that it's, um, that it's all the materials and training are provided. So... Um, even if you've never grown before, it's uh, actually uh, a good way to start. And um, the thing is, once you start growing these um, the native um, seedlings, it's a sort of amazing experience. I, I, I've had a crack myself about five years ago, and uh, and I was just amazed at uh, how they were at the sort of immature stages and how they change so much through the as they grow through you know grow through the maturity. Um, so yeah, that's say the website's got a lot of information there on that. And um, so we do need more growers, and fairly quickly. Really, and they could be going. anywhere around the city. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's actually um, <clears throat> it's actually Melbourne, anywhere in the city, and we actually got a, a Geelong and a Bendigo have got the big centres as well. Ah, fantastic! And, um, so some of our country so, towns could get involved too. Oh, absolutely! And uh, I guess the thing is um, now with the internet, I guess three CR does go all the way out, doesn't it? So. We yes, have, we have people who listen to us in Sussex. I don't think they'd be a great deal of help with this. But, yeah, so we get people from all over who actually uh, engage with us now. Yeah, OK. Well, probably their plot that I've worked for us um, this year, but um, they want to move to Victoria next year. That'd be great. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so as I say, if you encourage people to, um, your listeners, to, to have a look there. And once you start growing, what we find is... Um, People over the years, once they start growing, they tend to come back. Yeah, it's one of those things that you sort of—it's an easy way to get into it, and uh, and you see the sort of the beauty and the joy of uh, well, you all know the, the beauty and joy of growing any any. Yes, exactly. Plant, but, uh, it's very good but, for one's mental health. Well, it is, and um, and the, particularly some of the you know the indigenous seedlings uh, are just well, I had no idea myself until I really started growing. I'm a fifth year grower now, so um, I encourage anybody to have a crack at it. Now, John, have you? Is there a phone number if one of our listeners wants to talk to somebody about whether they'd be appropriate or not? Yeah, well, again, on the website, we've have had this, um, we have had this uh, situation a couple of years in the past, and it's um, the there are because it is a little bit of a commitment, I suppose. You've got to commit yourself to probably um, five months of the year to do it, mm. um, and, and of course, it's the first um, four to six weeks when the when they're propagating, that the watering is needed. That said, look, most natives um, they know what to do. You know, they get the water and sunlight, and they tend to they tend to go. Um, so that's it. But in terms of phone numbers, again, on the website, there's a phone number there, and I just forget it off the top of my head now. Um, there, but I'm sure it's um, I'm sure it'll easily come out. But it's I'll, I'll look it up while we're, we're talking there. 
But and there's also the other things, uh, you need the north-facing, um, not north-facing, but you can't have a south-facing balcony, for example. Sometimes we get people in units yes. uh, who would like to... Would but love you do, to you do need sun. Yes, and we say sort of five hours of sun a day is the sort of recommended um, amount that you need there. And, John, so, w- would you mind yeah. ringing our producer back when, when you go off air? Uh, yes, sure, sure, yeah. And I'll just give you that number now, if you like. Yes, uh, yep. but, um, it's uh, 03 Yeah, but again, the website's probably better because we've had put a lot of information up there about the first-time growers so that they know what they're getting into. Uh, so it's not just like a weekend where you come and pick something up and plant in the garden and hope for the best. You do need to be committed, and so you do need to have a certain sort of uh, an approach to... To that that uh, would work for a tree project. We do um, have some like... listeners who are experienced at this sort of thing, but don't use the internet very much. So that was why I wanted oh, the number. I see. Oh, well, okay. Well, uh, I, I wonder if it's if it's worth me just talking through those some of the other issues that uh, yeah, we've got there. No, um, I think I think people yeah. can people can follow that up. So I mean, yeah, okay. a huge number of our listeners will be very happy just to go to Tree Project on the net. Yeah, yeah. But some will want to ring someone, and that is nine six five zero nine four double seven. Oh no, nine five double seven. Nine. Oh, sorry, nine. No, I've lost myself now. Nine four double seven. Nine five. Uh, sorry, um, apologies there. Uh, nine. Get this get it right then, I suppose. Nine, yes. Six, and nine four double seven. Nine four double seven. Thank right. you. And John, if you yeah. would ring our producer back, I would appreciate yeah. that. Okay. No worries. Thanks, Virginia. Thanks okay. very much. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Well, that's interesting. That's an excellent thing to get people involved. Oh, I in. would imagine people would be really keen to be involved. Yes. Because yeah, great idea. Hugely useful. Mm-hmm. And fun. Mm. And you're feeling, you know, that you're just doing your bit. Mm. I mean, we all need to be doing our bit, and that's a, a good way that people could. Yes, and for those of us who, who don't have enough room to grow trees, it's, mm. it'll be really nice to actually have that relationship with growing some trees that yep. are going to go to a really useful place. Yep. The guy who were, who's, who wanted the dissector maples told me that he didn't want to plant trees because he was concerned about his guttering. Uh, yeah, I didn't give him the lecture. Uh, well, I normally do. Yeah, I normally <laughs> do too. But I, think, I mean, yeah. really, for goodness yeah. sake, if you can't yeah, I mean, clean the, your the, gutters out or get somebody in to do it. The benefit of a tree way outweighs the inconvenience of once a year gutter clean. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, more than anything too, as we get hotter... You need them. Shade. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we can't live without shade. And shade's a damn sight cheaper than air conditioning. And unfortunately, most of the houses that are being built today don't even have um, uh, any sort of overhang. All pale roofs. Yeah. uh, Tell me why you would have a dark grey roof Mm. instead of something that reflects the light away. Yes, I don't know. I mean, in other places, it's in in Singapore, they've done amazing things about global warming and and they've they've directed. their developers to the height they can build because on the equator you don't get as much wind Mm -hmm. and it's so built up so they've directed their developers how high they can build the buildings and they stagger the heights of buildings so they get some breeze at ground level and they've made it absolutely you know they've 
really gone in for green walls, green mm. roofs, yep. and you, you can't do black roofs, dark roofs, which, you know, you, you just see all these new builds with black roofs absorbing all the heat mm. so you can crank up your air conditioner. It seems to me uh, ridiculous. It is. It's madness stuff. Give me a tree any day. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And anyhow, it's aesthetically, if you don't have something taller than the house in your garden then the house is the dominant feature. Your right. garden is no is then subservient to the house. And unless you've got a house that's very beautiful, um, you're not going to notice the garden unless it, it sort of pulls the house into the garden. Yes, you so want, Aesthetically, but, it's really important too. And we need trees all around our streets. And we right. need to preserve Everywhere. our street trees. Yep. Mm. All right. Now, back to plants. A, back to a plant. All right, well... I might as well talk about the one right in front of me because it's there. Uh, Potophyllums, mayapples. They're a group of woodland plants from North America and China. Uh, For a little while, the genus was split up. It's now been put back together again. It's all become a little bit messy. But anyhow, they're all back to potophyllum again with a couple of added potophyllums that weren't potophyllums before. But anyhow, some of you will be aware of a cultivar out there called Spotty Dotty. Um, which has become quite popular and you see it quite regularly around the nursery trade now. Justifiably and, so. Oh, beautiful plant. Huge yeah. big leaves with all these interesting sort of... It almost Spots. looks almost looks like a hologram because it looks like the colours are raised or whatever off the leaf. It's really weird. Uh, so Spotty Dotty's a great plant. Um, but one of its parents you rarely see around. Uh, it's a little bit smaller. It's a little more delicate. Um probably a little harder to grow, I guess, in a way, is Potophyllum delavei, And it has the spots that Spotty Dotty gets, but it has a much more cut foliage uh, and it's a much smaller plant. So it really grows above about a foot in the old measurement. Uh, they get burgundy flowers that sit underneath the leaves. Uh, and in fact, the flowers only form on stems where there's two leaves. If you have a single leaf come up, it won't get any flowers. If you have a, a stem that comes up and it branches into two leaves, that's where the flowers will sit in that little uh, join between the leaves. They're great pot plants. Uh, they're another one of those things I'd probably leave in a saucer of water for the summer. Um, uh, they like a shady spot. They certainly don't want to be out in direct sun because they'll just burn. Um, and uh, they're herbaceous perennials, so they come up in the late winter, early spring. They stay up there for months and months and months on end. As it gets well into the autumn, they'll start to collapse and die down, uh, and they multiply from the rhizomes underneath. So you can end up with quite a colony of them, and you can split and divide them. Uh, so potophyllums, or mayapples, uh, they do get a an apple-like fruit, not as big as an apple, I might add, uh, and and when fully ripe, it is edible. When it's not fully ripe, it's actually not very good for you. Uh, so you need to know what you're doing with them if you're going to eat them. Uh, but apparently they were part of the regular um, food source for North American Indians, the um, Peltatum varieties and Hexandrum varieties that come from North America uh, were eaten by the natives. Um, Peltatum has some sort of medicinal property. Yeah, there, too, there's, there's also, yes, I, I don't quite understand the medicinal side of things. I try and avoid it because uh, if people ask me I don't want to be seen to be a medical uh, sort of person so mm-hmm. uh, I don't tend to pay too much attention to medicinal values of plants but yes I'm sure there is something about them from a medicinal point of view uh, they're in the Berberidaceae family uh, and I just think they're wonderful perennials with really gutsy interesting foliage um, and people always comment on them when they see them uh, so they're well worthwhile growing they look fabulous in a nice ornamental pot and that's probably the way most people would grow them not many people would have 
serious woodlandy conditions to grow them in the open ground. But in a pot, in a shady spot, in a fernery or something like that, they're a great addition to the garden. There is a form of um, Delavaii that's on steroids, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, um, much bigger one. Yeah. Uh, and there's other species as well, I guess. People should be aware there's one called uh, Pleanthemum, which gets huge, glossy green leaves that tend to curve over at the edge. So it's almost like a giant umbrella. Uh, and those leaves can be nearly two feet across. Um, and uh, there's another one I grow called Vespili, which has sort of long finger-like lobes on the leaves. Um, they're a really interesting, albeit smallish genus. So somebody should hold the national collection. They shouldn't be too hard to do. Um, um, the, the, the spotty dotty is actually quite robust. Oh, it is. It's quite a strong plant. Yeah. yeah. It seems to have some sort of hybrid vigor going yeah, on Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, as a garden plant, spotty dotty is probably one of the easiest and so. best to grow. Mm. Uh, but once you start growing spotty dotty, you'll want the others. So it's worthwhile trying. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so Potophyllum delavaii. I think it's a very handsome plant. And you've got a plant down there, a leaf that is not I've, got a bit of spottiness on it. Oh, we bought a few hosta leaves in, oh, but I think hostas. this is this is this is oh, uh, yes. the grass from New Zealand. Um, that is absolutely beautiful. Keonocloa flavicans. It's a gorgeous grass. Yeah, toy toy. Yeah. Um, there are a number of them in New Zealand, and this this is one of the smaller ones. And the the flowering which is happening now, and they're almost iridescent. Yeah. It's a gorgeous yeah. grass, evergreen, yeah. unlike evergreen. some of the other ornamental grasses. And which, quite tidy. Yeah, it's a nice tidy plant. It doesn't yep. sort of become sort of messy and ungainly. Mm-hmm. And the flower heads are just gorgeous. Sublime. And, and they last all summer. You know, they, they start off with this sort of iridescent green and then age to the classic grass oak colour. Yeah. yeah. And grow in the sun? In the sun, yeah. They look, it looks yep. better. And, and it would be, this one gets up to perhaps a metre. Yeah, not, it wouldn't not get much one. more than that, Craig, yeah, I would yeah. have thought. Um, now, you've grown it a while. I've grown it a while. Um, I recommend a little bit of irrigating for it in the summer. How, how do you think? I don't think it likes it particularly dry. Not Australian dry, no. no. Mm. I've never irrigated it, but yeah. that's Yeah, but you're, you're up at a linda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and if anybody wants them, I've just split them up, so another six weeks. Mm-hmm. And their name again, please? Keonocloa. And that starts with? C-H-I-O-N-O-C-L-O-E. Yeah. O-A. Yeah. Yeah, Keonocloa. Flavicans. The second, they just need the first name to be able to look it up. Yeah, there are quite a number of them, and some of them are quite big. Um, I have rubrum as well, which is a, the red-stemmed one, but which doesn't flower as beautifully as this one, but mm. it's, it's a good plant. I think this is one of the best of the ornamental grasses from New Zealand. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful plant. Yeah. And you see it used a lot in New Zealand in um, in landscape design work right. and, and even sort of, dare I say, roundabouts and, and verges yeah. and, you know, places that, you know, they're looking to fill. Uh, and they'll often use things like this Keonocloa and it's just lovely. Yeah, beautiful plant. And we have another call from Sharon in Cheltenham. Good morning, Sharon. Uh, good morning. I've got a question regarding a um, creeping hydrangea I put in last winter. Yeah. Um, and it's sitting there and it's grown beautifully. Its leaves look very um, tender. How am I going to go over the summer? Do you think I'll need to protect it? Well, is it in a, on a shadyish wall? 
it gets morning sun, yeah, um, not afternoon. Yeah, that should be right. Sounds perfect. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. just looks very sensitive, that's all. I'm a bit concerned it might frizzle. No, look, uh, well, anything's going to frizzle if we get one of those 45-degree days with a howling northwesterly drying the whole garden out. Um, yeah, so, and you know, that's all relative, that's what you're saying. Yeah, but you know, under ordinary conditions, you know, sort of normal uh, summer conditions, that sounds like the ideal place to grow it. I grew, my, I grew one in London on my back wall, mm. which was absolutely south-facing, so mm. it got a tiny bit of sun in mid-summer from, yeah. the, from the north. But basically, it, it it just it got no sun. Mm. It wasn't facing south. It was I was going to say you're confusing north, me. Yes, yeah, sorry. It was a north facing wall. <laughs> yes, in in Europe, yes, it, it didn't and, need to be. And it had no sun at all, and it mm. was as happy as mm. as happy as Larry. And flowered. And flowered. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, look, I I think you'll find it will be all right. Uh, I just keep a watching brief. Uh, if it does start yeah. to show any signs of stress in the summer. Uh, if we are going to have that summer that they're talking about that we might, uh, then you may have to put something over it on the really hot days. But once it's established, it should be fine. Uh, they don't need as much water as the classical garden hydrangea does. Uh, so, yeah, you know, just keep it reasonably well watered and, and see how you go. And be a little patient because the climbing hydrangeas take a wee while to get their act together and start climbing because mm-hmm. uh, they have to work out that they've got a wall behind them that they can cling to. So any self-clinging climber often takes a season to really get itself sorted out and start growing. Just one season. Yeah, generally one season. It doesn't normally take longer than that. Uh, And sometimes they'll attach really quickly. And once they are attached, they off they go. Um, and, of course, most of the climbing hydrangeas don't start to flower until they start sending some shoots off the wall. So the shoots that go up the wall won't flower. It's the mature wood that sticks out off the wall. And if I regularly get clients who keep their hydrangea looking tidy by trimming all those shoots off, and then they wonder why they don't get any flowers. So yeah, I'm a bit concerned here. Um, I haven't got a wall. What I've got is um, a wrought ironwork that I, I was planning to tie it. Yeah, it's, look, it's not going to be as satisfactory doing that. You can do it. it. It will, you know, if you keep tying it up to it, it will it will grow up the wrought iron work. But yeah. they're really at their best if they can run up a wall. Uh, that's what they're made for virtually. They're um, quite big plants. Aren't yeah, they, they can get quite large given time. But the good thing about them is when they get to the size of whatever it is they've got to grow up, they sort of stop and then they just send out adult wood and flower. Um, so if somebody could plant one on Eureka Towers, I reckon it could eventually fight its way to the top. Um, but if you haven't got something to grow it on, it'll make a mound in the garden. Mm. So you end up with sort of a, a shrub. Uh, so they are a remarkably interesting group of plants, the climbing hydrangeas. How many yeah. are there? Lots. People don't realise just how many climbing hydrangeas there are. There's one that comes from the Philippines with evergreen foliage and red flowers that I want. Yeah, I bet seriously you want. <laughs> What's uh, the foliage like? I don't know. I've never. I've only ever read about it. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen an image of it. In fact, I should find the name again. And then now that in the days of Google, I could probably Google an image to find out what it looks like. But there's an old hydrangea book written by Horworth Booth in England, and he mentions this Filipino climbing evergreen hydrangea. Uh, and I think he was lusting after it when he was writing about it at <laughs> the same was. time. Yeah. Um, but uh, all the schizophragmas and the decamerias and the pilostegias and all these other climbing things that look vaguely like climbing hydrangeas have all now been included into hydrangeas. So the climbing hydrangea group has become 
substantially larger. But there's evergreen ones, particularly from Central America. Simanii uh, and Integrifolia are two that are in the country. Um, and then there's the deciduous ones that come from China and Japan and Taiwan, um, uh, all through that area. Uh, so... I think last count I had about seven or eight different climbing hydrangeas I could offer people. Sharon, do you know which one you've got? Oh, look, I just I remember just recently throwing the tag away. What? Whoa, what? No, you should never throw tags away. They're, they're there know, to remind I'm, you. Yeah. yeah, look, it's I've, probably Pedialaris or Anomala, uh, which is the same thing, and it used to be uh, Hydrangea Anomala Pedialaris. I think they've taken the Anomala out and it's just Pedialaris. But anyhow... Um, mm. It's the most commonly available one. Uh, and so it's more likely to be that one, which is Asian. It comes from Japan and parts of China. Um, and it's a, it's a nice deciduous vine. Um, and it has lace cap flower heads, probably about five or six inches across in the old measurements. Uh, beautiful plant, well worth growing. Yes. Well, we took ages to pull out um, a jasmine that was growing there, which we were so sick of the damn thing. But gee, it was a big job to get it out. <laughs> yeah, eradicating oh. jasmine's difficult. Yes. yes. Oh, yes. It's a nightmare. And it's yeah. it sort of, it's still coming back in places. Oh, yes. You, it'll take you ages to completely mm-hmm. get rid of it. So you'll just have to oh. keep at it with the jasmine, unfortunately. Along with the horseradish. And I've got a neighbour gave me a, um, I think it's called Mandine, a Japanese. Yeah, the sacred oh, bamboo. Man. Yes, Nandina. Oh, it's shooting up everywhere. Yeah, it's a pain too. So I love um, Nandina. I do too. I, I'm yeah. on Craig's side on this one. I I think I hate the little dwarf, dumpy one the called Nana. One. Yeah, I hate that. It's yeah. just a dreadful plant. Um, I can understand why they use it, but I I think it looks like it's had a holiday at Chernobyl. Yeah. Um, but normal Nandina domestica, and especially if you can get one of the heavy fruiting forms like Richmond, is it can be quite an elegant plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, it will sucker, but it doesn't run off like a, a running bamboo would. Um, it's not quite that vicious. Um, so it is a matter of good sharp well, spade we- every so often mm-hmm. and go around the outsides of the clump. And it'll grow in some of the worst parts right. of a garden where you, yeah. you can get virtually nothing else to grow. Yeah. You can whack in a Nandina and it will flourish and look good. Yeah. So I think well, they're an underrated plant. I've got a very, very fine Nandina that's got very, very thin yeah, leaves. filamentosa. It's beautiful. Yeah, lovely little thing. Doesn't grow to any great size, but no. gorgeous leaves. Mm-hmm. And and some of the newer cultivars like Moon Bay and those sorts of ones, they're actually quite tidy and attractive small plants. Right. But, yes, yeah, the old Nana one had these weird curls to the leaf and stuff, and it just looked like it had curly leaf. And uh, I've never been fond of it, so uh, I would never plant it. Uh, uh, and I tend to avert my eyes when I see like large plantings of it anywhere. But hate you, the thing. But you can, as you say, you can get some really nice Nandinas. Oh, yes, yeah. definitely. Well, just a straight yeah. species is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is growing under the fence and, and it's really... Well, that's right. If it's going under the fence, it won't be your issue anymore. You must be spoiling it. <laughs> yes, don't water it, don't feed it, don't do anything. Yeah. Just, just... I'm not, I'm not. In fact, I've gone so far as to put up um, pots up over top of it to, to deprive it of light and it's still growing. Yeah, well, you won't you won't stop it that way, I don't think. Uh, but no, look, a sharp spade is generally the way to deal with Nandina. You get a really good sharp spade, you cut down through it, it's not going to go feet down into the ground. Uh, and you The should... only thing with these things is they always grow in a really awkward spot, like it's under a tree, so you can't get in there. 
actually put a spade in. You know, yeah. well, always... I, get, I get where you're coming from, but the issue is, yeah. is there anything else growing there that it's swamping? Yeah. Because it may well be growing in an area where nothing else will grow. Well, it, really, it's a nuisance because it's growing under a fajoa, and it really, I don't need anything it's under It's all for a fajoa. Mm. Oh, dear. Sorry. It's oh, a bit yes, tall for a fijoa. Yes. Yeah, and I can't get under it either. And I don't want to chomp it with a shovel in case I damage the roots of the beautiful old fijoa. It's very old. I have to say the Nandina and the Fajoa will fight it out for the next 30 years. And, yeah, they will. Uh, yeah. And neither yeah. of them is going to give up. Yeah. Okay. Um, so maybe you give up and just let nature take its course and yeah. see how things I, go. The yeah, trouble is Fijoa is like a lot of fertiliser, so yeah. the Nandina is... <laughs> yeah, the Nandina will make use of it. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Well, best All of right. luck, Sharon. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Yes, well, that's um, interesting. By the way, the Tree Project, it is treeproject.org.au for anyone who's interested in helping grow some native trees to plant out in mm. the country. It's always fun to raise seed. Mm. Actually, I had an exciting thing happen recently. Years ago, when I was still host of Gardening Australia, so that's, what, seven or eight years ago now, believe it or not, um, I cheekily asked one of the members of the Clivia Society if they had any plants going spare of Clivia mirabilis which was a newly described species. It was found in a completely unexpected part of South Africa, well away from any other Clivias. Um, and lo and behold, it must have been my fame and what have you with Gardening Australia, in due course, a gorgeous lady arrived with a three-inch tube with a little tiny seedling in it of Clivia mirabilis nice. for me. Um, now, it's been exceedingly slow growing. It's still one rosette. It hasn't produced any offsets, uh, but the leaves are up about uh, a foot and a half tall, I suppose, 40, 50, 60 centimetres, and it flowered for the first time last summer because it's a summer flowering one, so mm -hmm. it flowers out of sync with the others, which is quite useful in one sense. Um, and it set five seed pods. And I collected them about three weeks ago, sowed them, and they're already sending roots down. And so I'm going to have four or five plants of Clivia mirabilis, and I need to find out from the Clivia Society whether there's much of it getting around yet. I can't imagine it's, it's ever going to be a commercial success with the slowness of its growth. Uh, but it has quite long, narrow tubes, uh, bright orange with a green tip, and flowers in the summer. And it's and quite it, a big one. Yeah, beautiful thing. But, oh, mm. God, you know, I, I've still only got this one plant flowered for the first time after six or seven years. Um, uh, but I've got seedlings coming up, and it, it's so exciting. I only sowed the seed, and then within days they were sending, because you sow the seed virtually on the surface, mm -hmm. and so I, was, I, I just put a, a lid over the top of it, just a plastic lid, um, and I lifted the lid up, and here's a little radical starting to grow down into the soil. So uh, it looks like all my mirabilis seedlings are going to germinate, and in seven or eight years, I might have a flower on one or two of those as well. You can plant a clump. I could have a clump, yes, which is what I'm intending to do, I think. Fantastic. Um, but, yeah, it's so exciting to raise things. Now, we have a message. Hi, team. I planted what I thought was a bare-rooted Judas tree, Circus siliquestrum. However, the foliage is deep purple maroon. Mm. I thought the foliage was going to be green. Yes. Do you think it could be Circus canadensis, forest it is. pansy? It sounds like forest yeah, pansy. It's to going me. to be forest pansy, uh, almost pounds to peanuts. Uh, so that's I'm what worried got. if it is, it won't be able to cope with the seasonally windy spot I've put it in. No. 
Thank you. Love the show. Molly, New South Wales, South Coast. Yeah. It won't cope with a windy spot. No, no, they're brittle apart mm-hmm. from anything else. So they snap easily in they strong do. winds. Yeah. And the foliage is nowhere near as hardy as that of true siliquestrum. Um, uh, and I mean, siliquestrum is Mediterranean in origin. It grows around the Mediterranean basin in and in. in Judea and Lebanon and all around that area of the world. So it's a very drought tolerant tree, but Canadensis comes from cool, moist parts of North America. That's right. Yes, so really she's Wrong going, tree. You're going to have to move it, I'm yeah. afraid, Molly. And I have to say, see if you can still get a Judas tree because it, during the drought, my Judas tree was the best tree I had. Wonderful tree. Um, And if you're really lucky, you might be able to source a white-flowered one. Um, There is a lovely white form of uh, siliquestrum that comes pretty true to seed. You get an occasional seedling with a pinkish stain to it, but uh, instead of the the sort of clear pinky magenta colour that they normally come in. Um, And I don't quite... uh, I can understand why canadensis in its different forms has become popular here because it's throwing all those weird leaf colours. But it's really siliquestrum, the true Judas tree that we should be growing in this yeah. country. Absolutely. I mean, it's the one for, for us. Yeah, forest pansy's inferior. I'm not a big fan. Mm. Well, I've gone off the boil with forest pansy. Yeah. I'm having a play with um, uh, the gold-leafed ones yep. to try them out because I think they look quite lively. And I saw one called Eternal Flame in, in France that comes – its foliage comes out almost a bright – orangey red okay. and then yellows as it matures mm, sounds nice oh it's drop dead gorgeous yeah. uh, alright now oh, Priscilla wants to know where she can get spotty dotty now I have it at work I'm assuming you've probably I got do. some yeah. but she doesn't drive can you I send said, out yeah, yeah alright Priscilla I would suggest um, it's listed on my website I think is it? Yep. All right. Well, go into the Gentiana website and Craig could send you a spotty dotty. Uh, I don't do a lot of mail order. Uh, I tend to just do sales on spot where I can. Um, and it does grow well in shade. And if you're going to grow it in a pot, grow it in a comparatively large one because it's a big foliage plant and it deserves a biggish pot. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can always divide them. A tall so, pot too so you can see the flowers. Yes, yes. If you can lift it up into the air, that's yeah. a good So, idea. Craig, give us your website. Gentiana nursery.com.au. I don't know. It's so <laughs> if you type just, in Gentiana Nursery. Just Google nursery. Gentiana Nursery, yes. it'll come up. Yeah. Type in Gentiana, G E N T I A N A. Gentiana Nursery. Yeah. And, and there you go. Anna from Malvern wants to know how and where to store cyclamen over the summer. Um, cool and dry. Yeah. If they're in pots, which I'm assuming they are, and I'm assuming that they're the, the persicum forms that are sold as pot plants Um, you just tip the pot over and leave it in the shade i i have 20 year old corms of cyclamen persicum you you just put them in the shade as Stephen said and you don't water them until you start seeing growth not a drop Mm. right and when does she start the chelsea shop chelsea chop on sedum mid-november mid mid to late november yeah yeah. yeah, they've got to have a fair bit of growth on them first, yeah. then you chop them back, and then that they send up later growth that tends to be more upright and solid and chunky. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that would be the time to do it if you want to do it. Right. So I think that was helpful. Uh, yes, somebody has just said there is a white Judas tree in the St Kilda Botanic Gardens. Uh. We saw it in flower three weeks ago. 
Well, I think Pete has them at Yamina. Yeah, I think you might have a few yeah. to sell up there. Yeah. Uh, of course, if you live near near the St Kilda Botanic Gardens, the odd seed pod might fall into your hand uh, <laughs> at the appropriate time. They'd uh, be fairly easy, wouldn't they? They're easy, but I would give them the hot water treatment like you would, say, wattle seed okay. or whatever, if you're going to raise Judas trees from seed. So, so they need heat stratification. Yeah, they like a little bit of heat stratification. So what I normally do is I pour, pour some boiling water over them into a... Uh, fracture-proof container um, and leave it sitting in overnight and the seeds that sort of swell up have taken in water and they're the ones you sow. If there's some that didn't swell up, give them the hot water treatment again and that might bring them up. But it, the seed has to swell uh, if the hot water treatment is going to work. And it comes true white from seed, does it? It should, yes. They normally come true. As I said, you might get the odd pale pink one. Yeah. Uh, but particularly if it's a well-isolated tree where there's no pinky ones around, uh, if you can get seed off one, well, they should come pretty true, true to seed. Now, Byrne has texted in, I need to move a big clump of clivia yep. as, as they're getting a new fence and they need access. She's happy to give some away if anybody is wanting some, but she wants to know the best way to move them and she believes the sap is poisonous. Well, only if you eat it. Yeah, you move them with a spade. Yeah, yeah. Just get a get a spade underneath the clump. Yeah, Any time. You, you don't need to get particularly big root systems, but you've yeah. got to get some roots attached to the base of each right. Um, yeah. Rosette, yeah. um, and I've dug them at any time of the year. I, I remember when Craig's uh, mother and stepfather were moving from Glen Waverley. They had some beautiful big clumps in their garden, and they had the lemon ones and the Belgian hybrids, and you know some of the the more flash ones. Flash ones, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, and we went down there and dug them out. I put some in the garden at home. I put some in pots that. I could hold until they moved into their new place. Um, and I think we did it in mid- midsummer. Yeah. I, I, you know, you can do it at any time with them. They're really, really forgiving. Almost indestructible. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So, if you need to get them out, get them out. So, there you go, Burn. That seems to be good advice from the boys. Just give it a go. Yeah. You can chop them up with an axe if yeah. they're too big. Yeah. Yeah, because they'll be big and heavy yeah. if you try and get it out as one huge clump. So, you uh, can actually just divide them down the middle. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. you might bugger up one or two of the That's crowns, right. but yeah. at the end of the day, if you've got a big clump, you're going to end up with more than you need anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, somebody's texted in to say that we haven't had anything on our Facebook, and unfortunately, well, Lizzie's been away, but being um, mother of young and very busy, she's actually going to stop doing our Facebook. Oh, so we need someone. So we need someone. So if anybody is interested in actually helping us with our Facebook page, we would be very interested in uh, a, a little bit of help and be very happy to take another volunteer on into our team. Yes. Social media coordinator. Yes. A social media coordinator. That sounds posh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, would, so it'd be very useful. So you could ring into the station, or you could send us um, a, a text on o four double eight eight o nine eight double five, or you could send us three um, cr dot gardening at gmail dot com. Yeah. And you know, if you're managing your own Facebook page or whatever, you probably know what you're up for. Uh, it's not too complicated, I guess. And um, or you could just ring Doug, our producer, at this very moment. Yes. So yeah, we'd love to hear from somebody because I went to all the effort and posted all my photos off to uh, 
to Liz yesterday, not realising that she wasn't doing it anymore. Mm. So, well, she's been overseas yeah. as well. Yeah, well. Um, so, yes, unfortunately, you can't see the images of the plants that I um, uh, bought in this morning. Yes, which is bad luck, but we will get that together. I mean, we are a big team of volunteers. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And there must be, I reckon there's probably 30 of us. All up, there probably is uh, that get involved in the in the gardening program. Doesn't so. bode well for your lunch, does it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she could be right there, actually, Craig. Uh, you might need to bring two cakes, that's Craig. That's right. <laughs> oh, dear. I know Chloe's mum's bringing a cake, Deb. Oh, good. Yes. So we're and and we're going to have um, clematis mm. for sale. And we're going to have books for sale, for, so people can buy books as Christmas presents. Good idea. Yes, so we're raising a bit of money for our dear old station. Yes, mm-hmm. and we need it to keep going. I mean, we don't get any government money, so you know we need volunteers to, to help us survive. And um, I think we do a very good program. Well, so I'm told. Yes. Yeah. We keep hearing. We, and we keep hearing. Yep. We keep hearing this. And we hear from Britain and we hear from America and yep. we hear from southern coast of New South Wales. And yes, we've built quite a good listening audience. So, And uh, I, think, I think the thing that makes us so good is that it's a different lineup every week. So mm. if, one, if, if, if somebody's finding us really boring, well, next week, oh, well, actually, they've got you again next week. And, and the they, lack oh, of agenda. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, we're not pushing any particular barrows. Uh, And there's a whole diversity of... of expertise as well amongst the people who come in here. So yes. there's some that have landscape experience, others that are plant people, others that are specialist plant people. Um, Water people. Yeah, so there's there's lots and lots of expertise amongst the um, uh, the volunteers who come into the station. So, And uh, we must have a few viewers out or listeners out there that have known us for 30 years possibly. You know what it just occurs to me? I didn't announce in the... Open in in the weekends is the Yarra Valley Plant Fairs coming <gasps> up, and I didn't announce it. Oh goodness gracious! You better quickly do that before we run out of time. And it's in two weeks. Exactly. Because next week, it, Chloe is produ- is is presenting with you and Meryl and Clive. Oh, and Clive's coming in. So yeah. it'll be very much dealing with Yarra Valley Plant Fair, which is in two weeks, and I cannot imagine how I manage, given that it's. Right next door to me, how oh, I managed right. to miss yes. that. Oh, well, yeah, so put that into your diary as well yes. because it should be a great weekend. Oh, but... It's always an excellent weekend. Yeah, lots of interesting plant growers and things. And, and... lots of people that are on this show Yes, will yes. be there. Yes, so that's a, a really good one. Well, I think we, oh, we have time for one more plant quickly. All right. Well, Craig hasn't had much of a crack, so... No, what? it's fine. I think you should do Vancouveria because right. it's such a good plant for Melbourne. Yes. Vancouveria is related to the epimediums, if people know epimediums. If you don't know epimediums, that doesn't help. Um, but it's a basically evergreen, slowly sideways creeping ground cover plant. It can make a colony of up to a metre across eventually or more. Mm-hmm. Um, flowers in the spring gets tiny little sort of shooting star white flowers on very fine stems. I have to say it's not overly showy. It's just pretty. But the foliage is beautiful. But the fo- like yeah, the foliage a, like a is what you grow hair. it for. It, it, yeah, it looks it looks like a hardy maiden hair fern. Yeah. You've uh, been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.